tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. It's Friday. Thank and, and remember, the voice, was that live, your voice in my head? Yes, it was live. Yes, yes. He gets to go home and, 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 and with his lovely wife and, and, and just veg. Whereas, actually, now that I'm retired, I can do a little more vegging on the weekends, but eh, not that much. So, yeah, it used to be, uh, as just saying, the priesthood is a lo- wonderful life if you don't mind working weekends. But and it is a wonderful life. And I don't know what Christmas, I'm talking right? about. And hating, well, that was the second part of hating Christmas. But actually, this Christmas was the first Christmas in years and years that I just kind of, eh, I wonder what I'm doing. It was kind of fun. Don't let that get out. I mean, I'm trying to figure out retirement. I'm not that successful at it. I keep doing stuff, but I have fun. Where are we going with this? Let's pray. Then maybe we can focus on what we're supposed to focus on. You know, I should be the poster child for attention deficit disorder. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to launch into the readings, but by discussing something... That's the big book on the coffee table. Um... By discussing something we were talking about yesterday, someone called in and asked, what's this stuff about offering it up? That, that how does my offering it up, um, how does it work? It was a very sincere question because this person was a Catholic and had always believed we offer things up, but some of his non-Catholic friends challenged him. And, uh, you know, what good are my little sufferings? And I, I, I mentioned something that, uh, an approach to this that, that, you know, is kind of odd. I know you wouldn't expect anything different from me. However, we forget what St. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. It is not against flesh and blood we war. Um, let me get that exact citation. That's Ephesians 6.12. Um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6.12. You know, you look at the ministry of Jesus, and 
Uh, a third of it was preaching, a third of it was healing, and a third of it was casting out demons. That's a ballpark. But, you know, we're, we're real good with the preaching. People like me, we like to talk. But healing the sick, well, we pray for the sick, but, but casting out demons, <laughs> let's not get crazy here. A third of his ministry. And that's because we live in the world that is both visible and invisible. You know, my classmate, Father Branken, he points out that we were, we used to, one of the translations of the creed was seen and unseen. Creator of all things, seen and unseen. And that they went back to visible and invisible. Because visible and invisible is way different than seen and unseen. Visible means able to be seen. Invisible means unable to be seen. We live in a world, you know, if I, if I stand behind a door and you don't see me, I'm unseen. I'm still in this dimension, in this physical realm, but I'm unseen. If I'm invisible, no matter how much you close that door and look behind it, you're not going to see me. You see the difference between unseen and invisible? We live in an invisible world, a world that cannot be perceived by human senses. Uh, we live in a number of worlds. You know, right now, uh, wherever you are, there are TV shows and radio shows going right through you. I hope mine isn't going right through you, but <laughs> seriously, radio waves are going through you all the time. And, 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 well, well, why can't I see them? Because you don't have a receptor for them, for them. Now, I hope you've got your receptor for this radio wave on and you're listening intently and you can hear it through this medium. But if you turned the radio off, the program would still be going on without your listening. I'm not suggesting you do that. So seen and unseen, quite different than visible and invisible. And we live in a number of invisible worlds. One of them is physical, the, the world in which there are these radio waves. One of them is, is not material. And there may be a number of non-material dimensions. You know, all the stuff about uh, different dimensions in the universe. And we've been sci-fi before there was sci-fi. We believe in different dimensions of reality. One of them is non-physical. And we live on the edge of a physical world and an unphysical world. And I'm so glad I, I cannot see this unphysical world in which I'm living. I know that Jesus is here and my guardian angel is here and the Holy Spirit is here and the Father is watching out and the Blessed Mother is praying for me because it's a dangerous world. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, a book I quote constantly, uh, you'll forgive me, he has the devil call us amphibians like frogs living at the edge of a pond, sometimes in the water, sometimes on the land. They're both pretty dangerous, but I kind of think the water is more dangerous. There are things in there that want to eat us little froggies, you know, and there are things on the land that want to eat us little froggies, but we can hide under a bush or something. But in the water, there's stuff swimming around that likes to eat frogs. So it's a very dangerous world, that, that world in which we live, but we cannot see. So we don't want to launch out into the deep of that world without uh, 
without uh, the protection of, of, of the Holy Spirit. So don't do it. That's why we don't indulge in things like fortune-telling and witchcraft. And these are very dangerous things. Where is he going with this? I'll get there. Eventually, I get there. The question is, will I get there on time? Uh, so there is a battle going on right now, right in the room I'm sitting. You know, I can't see it, thank God. I've never had a vision. Um, I was once in a real struggle in the... Uh, and in, it was a, in, a, in a, an organization, the Charismatic Renewal. That I, I mean, there were there were people who were essentially stealing money, and and um, they were they wanted me out of the loop because I was kind of onto them. But I, I'm digressing. Um, well, I remember I was saying mass at a nursing home, and I, it felt like as if I turn suddenly I would see an angel I mean I just felt so many people were praying for me at that time and I just but I, I I've never seen an angel I've never uh, not that I know of I may have seen angels unbeknownst as, as the letter of the Hebrew says but you know I've never had a vision I know people who have but so I can't see this battle that's going on around me there are angels duking it out with devils right where you are right where I am it's called spiritual warfare. And though we cannot see it, we still participate in it. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the reason for offering it up. What, you know, this is getting creepy. No, I'll, I'll start getting uncreepy. Read C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, and better than that, listen to it on the web. Look for John Cleese, C L E S S E, screw tape letters, number one, YouTube, and you will get the first chapter of the book, and then you can go to the subsequent chapters. His reading it is is really it's excellent. All right, back to this idea of of offering it up and fasting. Why do we offer it up? Well, because God likes us to suffer. God doesn't want us to suffer. That's not. He's a loving Father who wants nothing but the best for us. Well, then why do we suffer? Because in this sad world, in this valley of tears, our first parents opened the door to the devil when they ate the forbidden fruit. And it was through the envy of the devil, we read in Scripture, that that death entered the world. Well, what's offering it up about? When I'm suffering, and I say, Lord, I offer this to you, oh, the morning offering, a prayer, I'm always telling you, I love it. Oh, Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary, I offer you my joys, works, and sufferings in this day in union with the holy sacrifice of the mass so i'm adding my meager sufferings to the cross of christ and that's what i do at mass it's the sacrifice of the mass okay back to offer what offer it up what what every time i am afflicted and we talked about was it yesterday we talked about what the cross was that every time uh I, I, I feel myself powerless. I feel myself carrying the cross. There's nothing I can do about this, this pain I feel, this unhappiness in my life, this, this worry I have for my children, this 
whatever it is, small or not so small, when I say to the Lord, I give it to you, Lord, I'm making an act of trust. And again, forgive me, faith and trust, same exact thing. I am trusting the Lord. And every time I trust the Lord, I weaken the power of the enemy host. You follow? I'm weakening the power of the devil and his fallen angels by an act of faith. I think this is a real thing. And I often tell you, you know, people say, well, the rosary, you're praying to Mary. No, you're not praying to Mary. You're quoting scripture. Of course, you're asking the Blessed Mother to pray with you, but you're quoting scripture. How did Jesus defeat the devil? In the desert, he quoted scripture. It's not by bread alone that man lives, and you shall worship the Lord your God alone. That sort of thing. He quoted scripture because the devil knows the Bible well, and he hates it. And when you're saying the rosary 53 times, you are saying, Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In other words, you're confessing that the human body is sacred, that God became one of us, became a human being, a man, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the devil hates that. The devil would just want, doesn't mind if God will mind his own business and stay in heaven. But when we say the Hail Mary, we use a biblical passage to remind the devil that this world belongs to God and not to the devil. On to fasting. What is fasting about? Uh, uh, You've heard the quote, I should have looked it up. Uh, The devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone. Okay, I got it. I got it. It, I have it done. It's uh, 1 Peter 5.8. We got it. The voice in my head just reminded me. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in the Screwtape Letters, again, C.S. Lewis riffs off this this verse by saying that the enemy, meaning God, this is the devil talking, uh, a devil, uh, the enemy, we look at, at the human vermin as as uh, food, cattle, food prepared for the table. The, hu- the enemy, God, looks at the human vermin as potential sons and lovers. He's riffing, uh, we look at them as food, the stronger will devouring the weaker. That's how the devil works. The stronger will of the devil tries to devour the weaker will. You follow? Now, what's the point of fasting? It is an exercise in freedom. I could eat that piece of cake, but I'm not going to. I'm going to exercise my free will and say no to myself. I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. This is an exercise of the will, so that when the devil tries to devour you, he will find you tough and stringy, and you will be able to say no to the devil, no matter how interesting his suggestions are. You follow? So fasting, the Hail Mary, the Rosary, offering it up, these are all about spiritual warfare. And if you see yourself just as sort of a consumer of religious services, you're not getting the point. By your baptism, you have been drafted into an army, an army that is fighting the, the, the demonic forces of the world, and they are demonic. You know, I you heard it here first, because I heard it from uh, Everstadt, the sociologist. But for years, I have been talking about the... Im- the imminent population crisis, not enough people. And the devil 
hates human creativity. I've shared this with you a hundred times. The devil hates human creativity. Through the envy of the devil, death entered the world. Well, the devil hates children. The devil hates art. The devil hates music. And he gives us bad art, bad music, and no children. And we are... Uh, we're dying for lack of children. We swallowed the bait. And, you know, the governments are trying to give money to people to have children. It doesn't work. You know, the only reason to have children? Religious belief. And interesting, interesting studies have been done that the only reason that you would think of having more than 1.2 children, if you think about that, uh, the current generation, the current young people, they don't want children at all. They're too expensive, too much bother. I'm fine being alone. That is a prevailing attitude among people of childbearing age in this country. But religious people believe in life. As the reading said the other day, you choose life. And the giving of life is the purpose of life. And if you have had kids, you know how much work it is, how hard it is, and what a joy it is, what a hope it is. The devil hates children. And we live in this demonic world. The devil is trying to, to undo human society. And you're fasting. You're offering it up. You're saying of the rosary. You're living in a state of grace. You're going to Mass and receiving the Holy Eucharist. These things are all part of spiritual warfare. Thank heaven I cannot see what's going on around me because I'd be terrified. So understand that you're involved in a spiritual warfare, and, and that's why we fast. Jesus says you don't fast extremely. You don't fast all the time. A Catholic fast is very easy. One meal, two snacks a day, no meat except in the main meal on Friday, no meat at all. That's a simple fast. And the tradition is on Sunday, you don't fast. Now, <laughs> that's controversial, but, you know, it's up to you if you want to fast through Sunday or don't, because Sunday we always celebrate the resurrection. Well, there's you could, you could be more, you know, dedicated to fasting. You could not eat anything for three days. Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? In other words, there are appropriate fasts, appropriate times to fast. In the first reading, if your fasting makes you a miserable human being, don't do it. Fasting is about freedom. And your generosity to the poor gives freedom. You want freedom from all your addictions, even the addiction to money. So enough of this. We are free men and women in a world of slaves. They think they're free but they are slaves to their own desires and passions. We can say no even to ourselves, And that's the point of prayer and fasting. And that's the purpose of Lent. It is a time in which we exercise the muscles of freedom in a world that has waved the white flag to the devil. Enough. Let us move on, and we will take a break. And the phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914. 9149. Father Simon says, Inconceivable! On Relevant Radio. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Częstochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Evil, evil. 
evil. That's uh, um, uh, that's uh, uh, weird, weird Al Yankovic, isn't it? Uh, Jimmy Buffett. That isn't a spoof of it. No, it's Jimmy Buffett. Rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. Oh, I thought it was a spoof. Well, never mind. Let's see. Well, the Reverend Know It All strikes again. Moving along. Okay. Uh, let's see here. All right. Where am I doing? Okay. I, I well, let's go to let's go to letters. We'll 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 muddle our way through letters. All right. I'm looking for something that I I'll I'll figure it out. This is the best computer in the world and always will be, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Oh, good grief. Now, now a computer has just decided to go there. Okay. Where's the any key? Okay. There doesn't seem to be any any key. All right. This is from someone who, this is a while ago. Help me explain the difference between these two scenarios, holding a grudge and forgiving someone, but maintaining distance from my own physical and mental safety. Oh, I did this one. You sure? I don't think I did this one. I'm sure you did it because oh. it became a best of the week. Oh, <laughs> well, see, it's a good letter. Okay, it was about a grudge. A husband's cousin. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you, you know, to forgive means to let go. And sometimes it's it doesn't mean necessarily to put yourself in harm's way. All right, let's move along here. This is from Julie. Um, uh, let's see here. I, I'm not sure what this letter was about, Julie, but, well, uh, it's just, um, the, uh, who said she saw an angel after 30 years and not in a bar and uh, telling her not to go to the world, back to the world again. You know, I think that we've seen more angels than we, when we realize. Okay, the controversy become pro-choice versus pro-life. This is from Kevin. What has the power to make most people forget almost everyone has choice before they engage in an action that is biologically intended to create life? You know, I don't know. If I did, I'd tell you. But I assume it's, well, the enemy. All right, moving along here. Let's see. Let's see. All right. This is from... Ellie, who I actually no, I have been happily reading the New Testament when I suddenly hit the book of Revelations. I got very confused with subject matter, style, etc. Everything felt different, and I stopped reading because I was so lost. What book can you recommend that that may offer commentary to get through it? Allie, the best book on the book of Revelation, I think, since the book of Revelation was written, is Dr. Scott Hahn's The Lamb's Supper. It is it is a wonderful wonderful book and this is visionary language. Um, it, it's uh, remember uh, a vision uses the word like. I saw one like a son of man. It it's doesn't say I saw a son of man. I like uh, you know that that this unseen realm when the curtain is lifted on it, we can only kind of compare things. Uh, in an analogous way, it was like this, you know, people, you know, people with the, the, the beyond and back, you know, light and tunnel near death experience or whatever it is. It's fascinating. I've met so many people who had that experience and it's just fascinating. They'll say there was this like, like river. And I knew that if I went past it, 
I, I would, would not come back, or there was a bridge, or there was a wall. There's a boundary, and they're describing it in terrestrial, earthly terms. And that's what visions are like. You know, well, we're waiting for the, the, the things with the chomping teeth and they look like grasshoppers and, 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 and soldiers. And this is all someone who's looking past the veil. That's just, the word apocalypse means the unveiling. And I believe that a Greek, a, a Greek speaking Jew would have seen the word apocalypsis, the unveiling and thought of the wedding. Because before a wedding, uh, um, the bridegroom looks under the veil of the bride. And I remember asking, um, before they sign the contract, what what they do is they go, they look under the veil of the bride, they have a schnapp, they sign the contract, the wedding contract, they have a schnapps, then they go to the place of the wedding and are married under a canopy, a chuppah. I remember asking Rabbi Lefkowitz, why, why do you look under the veil? So no one will pull a fast one on us like was pulled on our ancestor Jacob when he married Leah instead of Rachel. That's going back a ways. Uh, and you look, the, the high point of the book of Revelation is, Behold, I saw the heavenly Jerusalem descending out of heaven, adorned like a bride for her husband. It's toward the end of the book, but it is the center point, the high point. All the rest is the battle trying to get to the wedding. People think, well, it's this exact scenario of, of the end of the world. There'll be Gog and Magog and the armies of uh, this is, well, Gog is Russian, Magog is Who knows? That's not the point of it. Dr. Scott Hahn's book is the best. I think it talks about the book of Revelation as, as a, really a, a vision about the heavenly mass, the heavenly liturgy. So I, I really do think it's great stuff. All right. Hope that helps, Allie. All right. Let's see here. Okay. All right. Let's see here. All right. Again, I got a wonderful um, note from Len and... Uh, um, um, but there's a, uh, 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 something to click on. And I never, if you want to send me something, do not send it in an attachment. Do not send it in a, a, uh, you know, one of those blue click on things. What do they call those blue click on things? A link. A link. That's what they call them. The blue click on thing. <laughs> yes. I don't ever click on links or blue click on things as we will now call them all right uh because i do not want to compromise uh uh the computers um of relevant radio so no way jose uh, no way okay all right let's see here oh by the way there's plenty of lines open at 884 uh 91491 888, I'm sorry, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. This is a letter, very interesting, from Ken, um, uh, pointing out Jesus spoke the words Kyrie, Kyrie in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says Lord, Lord. Uh, and, and he's pointing out that I, I've seen that. We, you know, that, that St. Paul says, um, uh, um, in First Corinthians, that that um, 
No one can say Jesus is Lord, is Kyrie. Jews do not speak the holy name, uh, YHWH. And if they see that word in the text of Scripture, they will pronounce it Adonai, which means Lord. And they won't even say Adonai unless they're praying. They will say, if they're talking about God, they will say heaven, Shmaim, or Hashem, the name. It's the most common one, I would say, Hashem. Well, Hashem willing. That means God willing. Um, they even try to avoid the, the uh, English word God, which is, of course, not God's name. So I think it's very interesting that when you run across the word Lord in, in the Greek text, in many places, I think it does mean exactly that, that, that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No one can say that Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob except by the Holy Spirit. And not everyone who says, who invokes the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, belongs to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I, I think that is an interesting uh, thing to bring up. Also, by the way, if you combine the vowels y, uh, of Aronai with the consonants from YHWH, which is what you would have seen in the Hebrew Scriptures, Hebrew has no, has no vowels, really. Uh, it has letters that stand for vowels occasionally, but when they wanted to, when Hebrew was no longer spoken after the destruction of the temple, and there was a danger that the ability to read Hebrew was going away, the sages decided to put vowels in, but they didn't want to change the sacred text. So they put the vowels above and below. They are little dots and lines, that sort of thing. And... Um, and sometimes they're in the middle of a consonant, but they didn't want to change the relationship of the consonants which made up the sacred text. So when you came to the word YHWH, you saw the vowels for Adonai, A-O-A. And you combine YHWH with A-O-A and you get Jehovah. That word didn't exist before the 12th century after Christ. <laughs> and and uh, I think it's kind of funny that their whole religion's uh, based on it. And a lot of religious music, you know, uh, it's a non-word. If, if you'd gone up to a, an ancient Jew, get in your time machine and go see an ancient Jew and say, I worship the same God you do, Jehovah, he would say, who? Jehovah's a non-word. I just think that's kind of fun. All right. Let me, let me, what time we got? I think we can go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And by the way, I, let me look at the phone thing. Okay. Oh, yes, we got some phone calls, but we do have quite a few lines open. 888-914-9149. We'll be back in a moment. I hope you're having as much fun with this as I am. How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Get in line, brother, if you want to go home. Get on your knees and write that home. Then you'll be singing this old-time song. Get in line, brother, if you want to go home. Flatten Scruggs. Oh, Flatten Scruggs. Yes. Get a line, brother. <laughs> well, 
I guess. I don't know that I pictured it as a line. Well, let's let's go to the word of the day. I am looking so hard for a letter from Father Mike in California who wrote that he had heard on some show that the word for work and worship is the same in Hebrew. Well, it's 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 one of the words. There's a lot of words in Hebrew that can be translated worship. I'm always telling you Hebrew is a vocabulary, poor language, not when it comes to to worship. A lot of them. Um, you got halal, which means to praise, from which you get the word hallelujah. You got... You got uh, what's another one? Um, oh, uh, oh, what's the what's the victory shout? I forget that word. But the word I I looked it up and actually yes, the word for work. One of the words for work can mean worship. It's avodah. Uh, it's also related to the word for slave. An ebed is a, an obed is a, a worker. An ebed, um, uh, I think ebed. I. I gotta look that one up too, but it 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 means a worker, a slave, and and it's interesting. Why would work and worship be the same word? Well, we use the same concept. Have you ever thought about it? Uh, what times does the service start, Father? Service to serve is to is to wait on someone to work, and the word liturgy. I've shared this with you means the work of the people. And when people hear that, they think, well, that means that that there shouldn't be some bishop telling us how to worship and all that. We should be able to make a decision about what mass in our parish is like. After all, it's the work of the people. That's not what the word means. It means the slavery of the people or the obligation to service of the people. It doesn't mean that this is our job and we can do what we want with it. No, no, it, it has the concept. It, 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 liturgy, liturgos, really is related to the Hebrew word, and that's related to the word, at least in Hebrew, for slave. But yes, Father Mike, it is true that that avodah uh, um, can mean uh, um, both work and um, worship. I, I think that's fascinating. Um I, there may be an L added to it. Um, a little more about worship. The word for worship that's more commonly used is, I think it's Shacha. And in the 90th time, you, you see the Nishtahua, which means let us bow down. It, it means to lay flat before the Lord or to, to get on your knees and, and kowtow. Uh, and that's what it means in Greek too. Proskineo means to lay flat. So uh, this whole controversy about uh, should we kneel? No, scripture seems to indicate kneeling is a good thing. Uh, why? Why is kneeling a good thing? Because you're powerless when you kneel. You know, you kneel, you genuflect before someone. And Father Rocky, by the way, has a wonderful uh, um, uh, schmear on kneeling in, in Lenten lessons. Wonderful stuff about kneeling, uh, genuflecting. It's because you're vulnerable when you're on your knees. That's why you are you are powerless on your knees. It's hard to strangle someone or punch them or whatever. So moving along, let us now go to phone calls. You know, I'd be lost without a telephone. Hey, don't go away. I want to talk to you. We do have quite a few lines open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. But let us go to Rose, who's calling from Chicago, Illinois. Rose, what can I do for you? Yes, I thank you, Father, first for thanking, helping me, inspiring me more to do more fasting with your uh, knowledge on fasting. So, Father, well. <laughs> the question I have is, um, I am 
particularly gluten-free wheat. Yeah. I'm not supposed to have it, you know. But when yeah. I receive communion, you know, I don't think of it as wheat or gluten anymore. I receive mm-hmm. it as the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. So yeah. I don't understand why our church has acquiesced to make things gluten-free and all that kind of stuff so that, you know, it's more pliable for people to eat. So I, I don't have a problem after I receive the body and blood mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. So I was wondering why we had to go to this trend that well, that's more popular. I think that's been a special gift of God to you because some people do have that problem because it still has the external appearance, the accidents we call them in theology of, of bread and wine. And, and, um, you know, even the gluten-free hosts have a slight amount of gluten in them. I think that they have ruled that if it's something absolutely gluten-free, it does cease to be bread. Therefore, it is not um, consecratable. But a very minimal amount of gluten that would not be recognized by most people who have gluten problems, well, that, that would be different. Now, there are some people who have very serious celiac disease. And what I would do when I was a pastor is I would make sure that there was an extra small, another very small chalice, and they would drink, um, you know, from this very small chalice, the consecrated element, uh, the consecrated elements, because, of course, the chalice contains both the body and the blood of the Lord. You know, the chalice becomes the body and blood of the Lord. The host becomes the body and blood of the Lord. The chalice represents the blood of Christ and the host, the body of Christ. But they both, that's called the doctrine of concomitance. That both become both. So, um, if a person has a very, very, and I have known people who the slightest, I remember someone who had a sesame seed allergy and if she ate a sesame seed, a sesame seed, she swelled up so bad they had to take her to the hospital. So these things are real. Uh, so yeah, you, if, if you can take a little bit of the gluten, uh, in the host, that's a special gift of God to you, but, but there are some people who, who need the, the, extremely low gluten host. I won't call it gluten-free, but extremely low. And some people can't even take that. So I hope that helps a little, Rose. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're trying to meet people where they are. Well, God bless. Thanks for listening. I'm honored that you do. Let's Thank go to Tom so from... You're welcome. Let's go to Tom from Rhode Island. Are you with us, Tom? I am. What can I do for you? All right. First of all, thank you for your time. And... um I was wondering where the notion that hell is a place after death comes from. Oh, from the Bible, of course. Uh, for instance, in Matthew 25, 4, uh, um, it's the wonderful story, if my computer will, comp- uh, will cooperate, uh, about the judgment. Uh, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. Then he shall say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed ones into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So that's Jesus. You know, St. Paul never mentions hell. Good and gentle Jesus mentions it, what is it, something like 24 times? I'd have to count. Does that answer your question? Well, not really, because I, I know that it is a place for unrepentant sinners, and mm-hmm. um, and Jesus describes it as a place of infinite fire and, and infinite darkness. Um, yeah, I sort of think that there, my belief. Well, 
it might be false, but at the moment is that hell can be on earth and after. Well, like, I think you're right in a certain way that, that what hell ultimately is, is alienation from the presence of God. And um, we begin, you know, if we're not in a state of grace, we begin that on earth. But right now we have all sorts of pleasant distractions. Um, whereas we will face our own sinfulness, our own aloneness, our own darkness. And the, that fire, which is God's love unrequited, uh, we'll experience that without distraction. So I, I think you're probably right. To be alienated from God in this world is hell. But it we'll, we'll perceive it much more fully and much more horribly uh, when that happens. So I hope that answers your question. So... Um, yes, thank you very much. Yeah, God bless. Thanks for calling in, Tom. Let's go to Nick from Houston. God bless. Let's go to Nick from Houston, Texas. Nick, what can I do for hey, you? Hey, good afternoon, Father, and God bless you and Reverend Radio. Thank you for everything. My question is, uh, when we pass, do we go into a storm and state awaiting judgment from heaven, hell, and purgatory? Or is the judgment immediate? Because if Father Spirit says he will come again and go to judgment and have the dead, kind of not fully understanding the scripture as a prayer. Yes. Well, uh, the scripture says, it is appointed for man once to die. In Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So the question is, uh, is the judgment immediate, or is it at the end of time? And of course, the answer, I think, in my theory, is yes. <laughs> it's both, because for God, there's no time. And and we we are temporal creatures, and people make the powerful argument that there is change after death, especially in things like purgatory, so there must be some sense of time. But it's totally different than time as we experience it, I, I suspect. That, you know, we theologians solve this problem by talking about the particular judgment and the general judgment. I don't see why they can't both be the same thing, because it's God who does them. That, that, and I also think judgment is purgatory because judgment in the Hebrew sense, uh, it, 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 it corrects what is wrong. It isn't just a condemnation. It is, it is a, a correction of what is wrong, uh, and a, a reestablishment of that proper balance, which is justice. So my theory is that these things, at least as far as God is concerned, are quite simultaneous. Because for God, all places are here, all moments are now. That may not be true for us after death, but but that's kind of my theory on it. Does that help a little? Uh, yes, sir, it does. Thank you, Father. And I also agree with Rose that your explanation of fasting earlier was probably the best explanation that I've heard. So that added a lot of clarity as well. Thank you. Well, thank you, and I wish I was better at fasting. <laughs> I should listen to my own sermons. God bless, John. All right, all right. Let's see. Uh, was, no, that was that was Nick. I'm getting my yeah. All right, uh, John from California. What can I do for you? Uh, I was just wondering, um, Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about um, the elect. And if the time wasn't cut short, even the elect wouldn't be make it to heaven. Is how I take it. Um, but who who is considered the elect? Are we all the elect? Well, Jesus said many are chosen, but few are called. The word the word elect 
Uh, um, uh, let's see what what let's 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 for the fun of it, Matthew twenty two fourteen is what we're talking about. Let's look at it in Greek. Twenty right. four twenty two. Oh, 2422, he starts out with many, with this discussion of who the elect are. Many are called and few are chosen. Of course, my computer won't. Ah, there it goes. Let's see. Eclectoi. Um, it's interesting because called and chosen, uh, they, they, I think they may be, let's see, they may be actually, oh, I, no, maybe not. I was thinking they, they came from the same root. Uh, if they do, it's a very distant root. But the word for elect is eclectos, which means those who are, who are, uh, um, picked out of a group. Whereas the called, uh, that just is, means what we mean by called. That, that those people who respond to the call, if you're called, you don't have to really respond. But if you respond, then you are the chosen. The call of God is very universal. Those who respond to it, that's not so universal. So uh, that's how I look at it, that, that all are called, many are called, all are called. And, and when you see the word many in Greek, it's a very, very specific word. You know, people got all upset when, when we changed the word uh, all and many in the consecration. In English, because the Greek text is uh, many, and the Latin text is many, and the English, when they translated it, they said, uh, "Which is poured out for all?" No, no, it's not poured out for all. It's poured out for many. But what does "many" mean in Greek? Have you ever heard the phrase "hoi polloi"? It means the unwashed mob. That good things were reserved for the upper classes, for the 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 aristocrats. What Jesus is saying, no, his his blood is for the multitude. The word multitude comes from the Latin word for many, multi. So the multitude are called, but only those who respond to the call are among the chosen. Does that who are, are picked out? Does that make sense to you? Yes, I think it does. I'll have to read this. <laughs> Sounds like like you're you're chosen, you accept, but if time goes on, even those that accept can can fall away. I think is what oh yeah it, yeah it, yeah. Kind of what, oh, yeah yeah. So even oh, if yeah. time keeps going, <laughs> people are going to be be falling away even faster. Yeah, and okay, you yeah. know the Bible is full of free will. You know, so uh, you know the idea they talk about the frozen chosen. That's not the idea to respond to God's call. You know, the multitude is called, but the few <laughs> are chosen. So if you understand the Greek meaning of the word many, it, it clears it up. So good. Well, thanks for listening. I'm honored that you do. All right, Thank let us you. now go. God bless you. Let us now go to Joe from Chicago, Illinois. Just got a couple minutes. Joe, what can I do for you? Father, I attend a Catholic church, and, and two questions come up. Some say Jesus came to earth to save us from sin, and others say Jesus came to earth to establish a church. So uh, what is the, the answer? Uh, he did. He came to do both, and the church is supposed to be the vehicle of that salvation. Whenever you see the number 12 in the Scripture, it stands for judgment. 
or not judgment, it stands for, for government. Twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve judges of the book of Judges, the twelve apostles, that, that this was, he, Hebrew uses numbers as if they were words. They have meaning. For instance, five is the number of the law. Three is the number of God. Uh, seven is the number of perfection. Twelve is the number of government. Jesus clearly mm-hmm. established an organization because human beings live from organizations and and the vehicle of saving sinners the the sacraments by which sinners are saved those are um uh part of that organization does that help it isn't one or the other it's both well, and it's, it's, okay because it's kind of like the chicken and the egg uh so what was what was god's intention to establish a church first and have his son save people from sin? The, the early Christians believed that the church was the bride of Christ, and it was the first of God's creation. It was created before the universe. So that chicken definitely came before the egg. And the, we think of a church as an organization. God sees the church as a wife, a mother, a bride. And our Blessed Mother Mary is, in a certain sense, the incarnation of the church. And speaking of the church caring for people, Drew's coming up, and he's going to get you praying for everybody, which is a good thing. 